Well, good evening and good morning, EPL State of Mind listeners. Welcome to another sizzling edition of EPL State of Mind, highlighted by Arsenal's 6-0 drubbing of West Ham and dramatic lake victories for Tottenham and Man U. But that's just the kickoff. We've got a whole host of topics to cover this week, like the Asian Cup and AFCON tournament finals. The return of the Champions League, which has promised to be more draw- to bring more jaw-dropping moments and heart-stopping action. So stay tuned as we unpack all of this and more on this week's episode of EPL State of Mind, where the football frenzy never stops. Well, you have myself, James, the host, and Sean co-hosting tonight. Kyle is burning that midnight oil, but welcome back, Sean. How are we doing after this weekend? Yeah, pretty good. Can't complain. Uh, if I could, I'd, I'd be a West Ham fan, so... <laughs> that's it it would be it would be horrible if you're a west ham fan didn't wake up for the game then woke up to a six nothing you know what would have been worse if you're a west ham fan if you woke up right at halftime and you already saw it was four nothing i mean that's just brutal we'll get into it but that would probably be the icing on the te- on the on the wake-up call cake for me but uh aka jack dugan if you're listening make sure you give it a shout out for that but a really exciting weekend full of games locally in the states it was super bowl weekend so I was able to kind of hide away in the Poconos with a bunch of the lads. We watched probably, I want to say, a little bit less than half of the EPL games where I was able to educate some of my fellow partners in that and then uh, wrap it off on Sunday night with, uh, with a cool victory for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, not the winner I think the country wanted, but the winner that we knew was going to happen. So here in the States, it's uh, American football, not as important. But that's uh, that's our hot news for right, right over here. But for the English Premier League, we definitely have some. As I mentioned before, we're going to talk about AFCON, the Asian Cup. We're going to talk about the return of the Champions League and something that's a little bit interesting, but we'll hold on for next. So right off the bat, AFCON and the Asian Cup updates. So it's crazy, but both nations left the tournament victorious. I don't remember the last time that happened. I know Egypt hosted a, a couple of tournaments ago and they won, I believe, Turkey won as well. Are they even in the in in um who am I thinking? Morocco. Morocco. It's Morocco. the red flag. Morocco. It's like no way. That's not even remotely yeah, close to geography. Yeah. So makes a lot of sense there. But Ivory Coast won AFCON, defeating Nigeria 2-1 in the final. Fulham's Calvin Basie in Nigeria and Brighton Simone Anding uh Adedingra. Adedingra. Ivory Coast were the only Premier League players to make the team of the tournament. Uh, Ed Ingra did provide the game-winning assist in the 81st minute. We've highlighted him a few times for Brighton. Really young, promising. What do you even call him? An Ivory Coastian? Ivorian. An Ivorian. Ivorian. So really impressive. This was the first time since 2015 that Ivory Coast won the trophy, which at that moment in time was captained by Yaya Torre. If Kyle was here, he'd definitely have something to say on that. And uh, I just, because I dove into a giant pit of despair that was actually months after dda drugba retired so he actually i was like was that when dda was on the team dda never won in the afcon which was i thought uh, wild so i wanted to see what that was especially with him and, and the tory brothers playing at the same time you think they definitely would have won one i think my favorite drugba story is the one i don't know if it was during the world cup or maybe it was afcon where he got the there was a basically a civil war in, in Cote d'Ivoire, and he got the Civil War to go on pause for the tournament. <laughs> Everybody laid down their arms and just were united by the sport, which is incredible. Um, the impact that, you know, that somebody like that has in a, in a country of its size. So pretty remarkable stuff. And then obviously uh, moving over to the, to the Asian Cup, 
Qatar beat Jordan 3-1. to All three of their goals were penalties. The host nation getting three penalties. And it's Qatar. We already know there's some nefarious stuff going on in, in, for them to get the World Cup. But I did watch the highlights of this game. They were pretty much legitimate penalties. There really can't be that much complaint from the Jordanians' perspective. So when I first saw the headline, I was like, whoa. <laughs> what, what kind of nonsense are we getting up to here? But um, definitely, definitely valid. Um the only notable snub, I guess, from the team of the tournament there is Young Min Sun. Uh, South Korea did get to the semifinals or quarterfinals, excuse me. Japan got to the semis, but no Premier League players in the Asian Cup uh, team of the tournament. So, you know, a little bit underwhelming performance, I guess, especially from Japan. I would say would be the probably the proverbial f- favorite going into that tournament, not not even getting to the final. Um, yeah, they had a good run in the World Cup, right? They were doing pretty well. Yeah, and the women's the team group. Is, is exceptional as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think Japan had that historic World Cup run um, where they, they really were were performing outside of what everyone anticipated. So that definitely would have been cool to see, especially with Matoma was Actually, Matoma, I don't think, was over there, right? Because he was injured he, during he, the start he played, of the tournament? No, he played, in, he played in the Asian Cup. I think he missed the group stage, but then played in the knockouts. Very fair, very fair. But yeah, interesting. Uh, not too bad. I mean, Qatar is ranked 58th in the FIFA rating, and Jordan, just as a reference, is 87th. So take that how you will. I didn't watch the that final, and I was only able to listen via the FootMob app to the AFCON final for a little bit because I thought Nigeria was going to win, so I put a little cheddar on that. But unfortunately, that was quickly and shortly lived. But the biggest hot news of the week is the possible introduction of blue cards. Now, the International Football Association Board, the IFAB, has proposed the idea of blue cards and sin bins being enforced. So if you don't know what a sin bin is, if you're a hockey lover like myself or an extremely large hockey enthusiast Ranger fan as Sean is, you know that sin bins are just a penalty box. So if there's a fight, if something happens, you don't get sent off the field permanently. You go take a timeout, and then the catchy, you know, why can't we be friends song comes on as you skate across <laughs> into the penalty box. So this introduction would mean that a player is lost for the team for 10 minutes for follow for the following violations. Descent towards officials, which is pretty much talking back, raising your hand, raising your arm as to to varnish or a yellow card. Tactical fouls essentially is like a, um, what do they call in, in basketball now? It's a clear path foul, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like yep. that, clear chance yep. foul. Yep. And then, yep. And then obviously time wasting. Um, Sean, what do you think of this? Before we get into what the pros think, what do you think of this, man? Sure. So I think um, I'm not as anti this rule as a lot of people are. This is something that we talked about earlier in the year. I think I advocated for a black card where the player gets sent off, but the team doesn't lose um, a player. And it's just because of like the sudden spike in in bookings and sendings off in the Premier League this year, I don't necessarily think there needs to be more complication. And, and that is the point of, of Jurgen Klopp, who basically said that he's been alive for 58 years and the uh, Football Association board has never proposed a good idea in his opinion. So <laughs> he didn't think now is a good time to start. Um but I, ju- I just, and he also just felt like you don't need to make referees' jobs more complicated. I feel, though, um, 
that there could be some benefit to this. It, and it just, it's one of those things that would need to be tested at a lower level and then kind of see how the results work. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting concept. I do know that we've, like you said, a black card. I know we said, you know, an orange card or something like I always thought that was more based off of the severity of a foul. Um, if it's not quite a red card, but it needs to be deemed more than that, maybe that could go as a tactical foul or a cynical foul. That's not quite a red. You send them off, cool them off. On the 7v17 league that I play in Hoboken, you get a little bit of hothead yellow card, you're off for five minutes. <laughs> of course, I play at the same exact level as these guys. So that they, it directly so relates one to, to one each comparison. other. comparison. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I'm not a huge fan of it. You know, it just, it, like you said, it adds another layer of complexity. If a goalkeeper gets a blue card, they have to sit out for 10 minutes and a field player can then take the net or the, the team can elect to completely take him off, substitute in another goalkeeper, keeper, take off a field player, and then that goalie can't come back in. I mean, it just is layers upon layers upon layers. And what's wrong with, you know, the biggest thing right now is time wasting, right? You get a yellow card for it. You're not going to do it again. That problem's fixed with the yellow card. Tactical fouls, yellow card. That problem's solved. They don't get another yellow card after that. And then descent towards the officials. If you got a team crowding around you for a foul, who's to say the ref can't right now go, boom, yellow card for you, boom, yellow card for you. Everyone's going to back off in two seconds. That ref shows two yellow cards to to two of the five people crowding him, I think that kind of solved it. I think we have the proper tools. I think the refs just aren't using it the right way. And let's forget about it. Let's just also say, you know, don't add another card. Just get better refs or educate them better on the plays. Right. And and that's that's certainly a perspective, you know, a part of it too. They need just to be better, more consistent. If if they, you know, constantly cut down on descent, diving, and time wasting and and held everybody to the same standards then this probably wouldn't even be necessary. And that's just quickly before we move on. Postacoglu basically also trashed this rule and said, you know, hey, you already have enough problems <laughs> with time-wasting as is. Like, imagine during that 10 minutes what the time-wasting is going to be like because then the referee yeah. is less likely to punish a team for a second time, send you down to nine men, et cetera, which I get. Totally understand the perspective there. But um, so from rule changes to the rulers of Europe, Talk about the return of the Champions League. You have a, a couple of percentages I thought that were kind of interesting in terms of who the favorites are entering the uh, the knockout stage now. Yeah, this is based off of Opta tournament predictions or percentages. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with them. I think they missed one, but I'll say at the end. But right now what we have is Manchester City at 31.2%. And this is to raise the, the, the cup. This is to raise the trophy. So Manchester City at 31.2%. Real Madrid at 15.7%. Inter Milan at 12.1, who I think is a bit low. They are currently killing it in Serie A. Then you have Bayern Munich at 11.4%. Should be a little bit lower. They have Harry Kane now, which means their tournament possibility is way low. But then you have <laughs> you have Arsenal at 6.8% and PSG at 5.4%. And then Tottenham Hotspurs at 0%. So I think overall, that's pretty... <laughs> Overall, I think that's pretty good. I definitely, I think you and I are on the same page that Manchester City are definitely heavy tournament favorites. Sure. But I think Real Madrid right now have some serious injuries and are still missing that key striker, but they're dominant and, and they're, this is their tournament, you know, so you can never rule them out, so to speak. Um, it definitely helps them that Liverpool won't try to be a hurdle in their way like most years with Real Madrid, but it's it's tough. What do you think of the percentages? It is, it is difficult to say. I do think City are deservedly the favorite 
Um, honestly, I thought Bayern would be a little bit higher, but I guess their performance in Bundesliga probably has something to do with that. Um, Milan, for me, yeah, maybe could be bumped up a little bit. Yeah, I I do agree with you. It's one of the they're one of the best knockout teams in Europe, uh, particularly since Pipo and Zaghi's took a note taken over there. Um, they're a really difficult team to break down. They have strong defense, and you know now this year with some of the additions they've made, like Marcus Torum up top, they've started to score quite a bit as well. So, um, for for certain, a dark horse. Obviously, they got to the final last year. Yeah. Um, and then Arsenal and PSG, they have you know they have the ability. There's there's certainly talent on those rosters. I don't think anyone would be stunned to see either of them in the final necessarily, but probably not the favorite against you know if they ran into a City or a Madrid. Um, the one thing I would say is if Madrid can avoid City until the final, I would take them in a one-off game to win. But over two legs, I think City's quality, um, the fact that they have you know top-class players at every position, as you mentioned, um, there's not really a, a, a Real Madrid-caliber striker right now. It's, it's Hasselu, and I forget who the other guy is that plays up top. Bellingham and Vinicius are, are really responsible for the bulk of the goal scoring, so... I do think in a one-off game I would favor them because they just seem to have some voodoo magic in the Champions League. But um, in terms of you know over two legs, I just think City's quality would prevail. I think Inter Milan and Bayern would be the two teams you know best equipped to to give them a game over you know two two legs. Yeah, I mean just on the Inter Milan status, they have a positive goal differential in Serie A is forty three. The next closest one is twenty one. Wow. Inter have scored 55 goals in 23 games and only let up 12. So right off the bat, I know it's a completely different league, but those stats alone say how serious they are. They're seven points clear in first place right now with a game in hand. They're definitely barking up the right tree here. But we will see what they have to do against um, who they playing on. What is it next week, right? Yeah, they play uh, play Atletico. They play next week against Atletico Madrid, who are a really difficult team again in knockout play. That's not a, you don't want to run into a Simeone team, obviously. No. Inter are the favorites, but um we know how difficult Atletico are to beat. They obviously took down Real Madrid in in the uh in Copa America uh, Copa America, Copa del Rey um a few weeks back and and also in the, I think they've they took points off them in the league. So yeah, one of the one of the most difficult managers to beat. You know they're going to shit house their way for ninety minutes or one hundred and eighty over two legs. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think those those next week matchups are certainly a lot more interesting than this week. We had Copenhagen lose three one to Man City today, um, and obviously the return leg will be at um, the Etihad or the empty head, depending on uh, if you look at <laughs> if you look at what the crowd looks like pregame, and then Madrid squeaked out a one nil against Leipzig. Um, no Jude Bellingham, who sprained his ankle in against Girona this past weekend, should actually be out for both legs. Um, as a as a fellow ankle sprain survivor, you know my thoughts and prayers <laughs> with Jude. Yeah, it was a high ankle too. You know, you, that's oh, those are nasty. That shit. Those yeah. are yeah. Lil Wayne said it best. You know, like a sprained ankle boy ain't nothing to play with. You know, I just <laughs> love quoting the master himself. But uh, yeah, I mean, those were the games today. No real excitement with them. Tomorrow we do have PSG versus Real Sociedad. PSG, and if I was able to do a lock of the week outside of the EPL, this would be my lock of the week. PSG have won four of their last five goals with a total of fourteen five games with a total of fourteen goals. 
uh, Real Sociedad, you might recognize some of the EPL names like Alexander Izak came from there and Martin Udegaard when he was on Real Madrid was also on loan there before coming to Arsenal. They've only won one game over the last five and were able to squeak out two goals in them. So right now, PSG's at minus 149. So I would I would hammer this one call home, but it's always you got to take PSG with an asterisk. As soon as they get to the knockout round, they seem to always fuck it up. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. I can't believe you didn't mention your boy Kieran Tierney on loan at, at Sociedad. That's true. That's true. I forgot he, he was injured for a while in the beginning, but he is a left back. I mean, he's just good. He's just good. Yeah, he's a solid player. Gets gets forward well. They also have this guy Takafusa Kubo, which is another Japanese player who's you know looks to be a star going forward. Um, th- definitely watch out for him. But like you mentioned, obviously PSG is the favorite. You have probably the best, if not you know. At worst, the third best player in the second or third best player in the world in Mbappe. That's always a good advantage. So um, look for him, obviously, to make a huge impact. And then tomorrow we have uh, the Hail Classico, uh, the Bayern Munich versus Lazio, <laughs> which is just, I mean, if you're a big fan of fascism, World War II fascism, these are your clubs. You've got Mussolini's favorite club, Lazio, against Bayern Munich. Um, but I mean, other than the Copenhagen matchup and I guess probably Porto Arsenal, this is the most lopsided tie to me. Um, mm-hmm. Lazio cert- are right, I think eighth or ninth in Serie A right now. And Bayern just look like way too strong for me on this one, but you'll never know. Obviously, um, you know, the game does start in Rome. So maybe if they can hop out and, and get maybe a two goal advantage and go, go to the Allianz with that, that, that might give them some hope, but. Uh, for me, I just see Bayern being way too strong for Lazio. Yeah. I mean, you, you have, like we noted, four of the top six percentages are all on that one side right now that just right. played today and, and, and tomorrow with right. PSG, Bayern, Real Madrid, and City. The other side is definitely a little bit more lopsided. I think you're, you're right on that. But, it, you know, it's Champions League. Anyone can beat anybody at any given day, and that's why you have two legs. So it's the excitement is yet to come and yet to end with that. But we did have a lot of excitement this weekend. I definitely left a happy man uh, from the Poconos. I think I should watch games up there more often. But Arsenal absolutely slapped the living shit out of West Ham. 6-0, the largest goal differential and largest win for a team this season against another top 10 competitor. Um, This was at London Stadium too, so it is Arsenal's largest away win in years. I think the last one they had was against Everton. Uh, And then... You know, this one is a little bit more special because even though West Ham beat us two times this year, just with this one game, we beat them 7-5 in aggregate. And we only scored one goal in the other one. So it's it's a bit of a comeback story for us. But before I rattle off some of the, you know, the facts or my opinions, I, I know you watched this game. What were, what was your take? Yeah, well, I'm just, I just said the 15-minute kitchen timer now. So when that goes off, <laughs> it'll... Uh... We'll stop, but yeah, I, I mean, there's there's really not that much to say other than Arsenal just completely dominated this game from front to back. Um, Declan Rice masterclass against against his uh, former club, and then yeah, I mean, it, it got ugly pretty quickly. Honestly, that that was that was pretty much my takeaway. I stopped watching at halftime, like you said, it was four nothing. So can't imagine Dugan was feeling too good probably after drinking like eighteen light beers and a hundred <laughs> bicep curls, um, and then and then what waking up to getting flapped around probably didn't feel too good yeah i should i should have tried to wake him up but i knew i would get the rollover grunt and be like uh i don't want to watch west ham 
But uh, I don't blame them. They're, they've been in pretty poor form as of late. Uh, his big saying for the day was we didn't have Lucas Paqueta. I think you're right that that definitely doesn't help, but it's not going to stop Six from going in the back of the net with utter pure domination. Exactly. So, I mean, there's not too much to you know single out other than the fact that everyone had some moments of brilliance and it was really an exciting game to watch if you're an Arsenal fan because I don't remember the last time during a season that I, I feel confident in the squad being able to push out numbers like that they did. You know, the, the couple points for me was one, no one was able to boo Declan's Declan Rice's goal of the week, possibly goal of the month candidate because all the West Ham's had West Ham fans had already left at halftime. Um, <laughs> they actually had zoomed out of the London stadium and the commentators at halftime was, Oh, it's the, uh, the movie let out, I guess. And everyone's just leaving London stadium. Uh, it was a pretty empty stand by then, but if you haven't seen his goal, you got to check it out. It's probably about 25, 26 yards out, just curls it from the right side of the net, goes across the net into the, the left side netting. It was a worldy and big ups to him because despite the, the still constant booze every time he touches the ball from West Ham. He did not celebrate. Um, he's currently, you know, proving everyone that he is really, really worth his price tag in this world that is crazy center mid, center defense mid market. And he's really solidifying Arsenal's midfield that is really starting to click and become an issue for for all, really. So big up to Declan. Seems like he's going to be the the next next big thing since sliced bread. Um, both Saka and Ugard now have 61 chances created, which moved them both to second and most in the league, nine behind Bruno. Uh, this goal fest gave Arsenal a huge boost, not only now that we've scored 16 goals in the last four games, which is coming at a massive time, like we said, with the, with the Champions League starting back up and us playing next week, but also brings us back into the goal differential race. We're currently tied with City. We're one behind, one game behind, or ahead of them, rather. And then we're one goal differential point behind Liverpool, who are tied with games. Um, finally, I think we can list out some standout players uh, besides everyone on the Arsenal team. So I'll, I'll keep it a four. I'll give one obvious one. Two big shout-outs, and the last one I think you'll enjoy a bit. But obviously the first one is Declan Rice. Enough said there. I think he had the highest foot mob rating of a central defensive midfielder all season so far. Uh, you had big shout-out to one of my favorite team members is Ben White. He played in a, a different role this time. He was still right back, but the, instead of inverting Zinchenko because he was out, oh. they actually inverted, um, they inverted uh, White who did a phenomenal job really creating that box midfield and still having a false night come in to really overload that center of the pitch. So big up to, to Ben White there. Jakob Kivor, he did really well. He kept uh, Kudis to 0.12 XGs and 0.01 expected assists. Didn't really see much from Kudis down that right side, uh, especially from a young international Poland international player who hasn't seen a lot of playing time this season. Very nice job. And then last but not least is Ethan Wanari. So he, if you remember from last year, he became the youngest English Premier League player to get minutes on the pitch last year at the age of like 15, 10, 15 years, 10 months and like 20 days or some shit like that. But he's currently still 16. He's an academy grad, probably had no expectations of getting into this game whatsoever, uh, being dubbed my banana peel game of the week, which was a flop and a half. Uh, grateful for that one, but was able to get 13 minutes under his belt which if you watched that last 13 minutes or if you, you didn't leave the stadium yet, you could tell that everyone was really trying to feed him the ball. Arteta came out and said the players on the bench were, were pegging him, saying, get, get Ethan, Nathan, get 
Ethan in there, get him in there. Uh, he had 20 touches and 15 completed passes in that time frame, which was three touches less and five passes more than Jared Bowen. Granted, Bowen plays number nine, so he doesn't get as much, but he still played 80 minutes longer than Ethan. So it's definitely a, a big shout out to him. He looked very calm, cool, and collected. But that's um that's enough for the Gunners. They've been they've been in really good form. Hopefully they can keep it rolling for next week, especially midweek. But a, a game that was a bit more entertaining and a little bit closer, I would say, maybe not as entertaining for me at least, but definitely closer was Manchester United Austin Villa. Yeah, this game is quickly turning into, or this, this matchup is quickly turning to one of the best in the Premier League. The first game between these teams was a three-two comeback victory for United at Old Trafford. That was a really fun game, and this one was as well. Um, they did start start off with with a goal through Rasmus Hoyland, who got his fifth goal in his last five starts. No one since Christmas has scored more goals in the Premier League than his five. And it started off with, you know, one of my favorite, or really one of Kyle's favorite things, which is a corner onto that big old slab head of Harry Maguire's and then a really cool finish from Hoyland. It was the type of shot or chance that he would have shot wide or into the goalkeeper a month, maybe two months ago. Um, but he's just clearly a striker in form now. He's feeling it. His movement in the box, his ball striking, all that's really good. Um, I think... He was getting slated quite a bit by by the media and um, you know on Twitter as well. But you know, you and I, despite the fact that we loathe Manchester United, both you know think pretty highly of his game, and you were starting to see the fruits of that for sure. Um, from there, there wasn't too too much. I mean, it was relatively back and forth um, the remainder of the first half, but no like prime chances. Um, Villa, I would say, probably had more of the ball, but United probably had a couple more chances. Um, and then the second half opened up and Villa was dominant pretty much from the 40th, 45th minute on through, you know, well past the hour mark. Um, just felt inevitable that they were going to score. And eventually they did with a Douglas Louise chance, um, just more of like a, a cutback. And he just puts it top, top ends, um, hit him with a little Steph Curry shimmy, which was funny. Um, <laughs> Didn't work out for him in the long run. But no, it, it didn't. I mean, second <laughs> second week in a row, we see somebody celebrate a little too early. Uh, last week, it was Neil Mope doing the dart celebration against Tottenham before they came back to beat uh, Brentford. But, um, yeah, from there, obviously, there were still some chances for Villa, but um, I, especially there was actually another one for Douglas Luiz. It fell to him on his left foot. He just kind of scuffed the finish and uh, was you know made to pay for his miss because probably about five minutes later, Unbelievable cross from Diogo Dallo to Scott McTominay, who came off the bench once again to 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 win the game for Manchester United. It just seems to be a trend now. Whenever they need a goal, just throw Scotty T on there and he'll make something happen. Um, yep. His seventh goal of the season, <clears throat> excuse me, and 12 points that he's won for his team in terms of his four goals were game winners. So more game-winning goals than anybody else in the Premier League this season with four. Um, really, everything was great for Manchester United, despite the fact that they lost the XG battle again, but they won the war, and they'll lose the XG battle every week if it means that they end up with three points. The only yep. negative for me, for them, is that Luke Shaw was substituted at halftime with an injury, um, which is obviously a big blow for them, particularly because they're still without the services of Tyrell Molassia, so it'll be a right-footed player maybe an Amrabat or Victor Lindelof playing left back in their next match against Luton. Yeah, that's going to be tough, especially with, you know, it's a bummer. You saw how healthy their back line finally got 
two weeks ago, and then right. Martinez goes down, and now Shaw goes down. And they're still having those woes. Uh, one player on the Villa side who went down was Bubakar Kamara. Uh, he picked up a knee injury that will actually see him out for the remainder of the season. He's been a pretty good central midfielder presence for him. I don't believe Logan was a big fan of him when no. uh, when he was on the podcast. I believe he quote-unquote called him a black hole um, yes. every time the ball went to him. But obviously, even a black hole, when it creates depth in the group, is is better than better than nothing. I think he also did a lot of the dirty work in that midfield that uh, you know freed up guys like John McGinn and Douglas Luiz to get forward. So yeah, he's certainly not the most silky player in possession, but um, I think he he protected that backline quite a bit. And I just kind of can can still see Villa you know tailing off a bit as you predicted in the halfway hopes and horrors episode. Um, for me, just a, cu- a few guys that I wanted to highlight: Leon Bailey was phenomenal in this game. Um, he yep. I think he set up the goal uh, for Douglas Weiss. I can't remember if he did for sure, but uh, a lot of driving runs, putting pressure on that Manchester United back line that was constantly causing issues. Um, and then the other guy, obviously, you know, McTominay scored the winner, but Diogo Dallo was really, really good defensively. Um, and then also, you know, going forward, he had one one cross, I think it was to Garnacho that w- that he missed, uh, but it was a beautiful ball. And then obviously he had the, the, the ball on, on the game winner. So, um, I think his performances at right back have been really underrated this season, and he's been, um, you know, one of the best players for United throughout the course of this year. And he's also fit, which is like nobody else has <laughs> ever fit in the back line. So I uh, thought he deserved a lot of credit. Yeah, he's had quite the resurgence in the Manchester mm-hmm. United team, which is, which is huge. Um, but one player that I'll put out there real quick that normally doesn't get a lot of praise, but when he does have a good game, he's fully on, and that's Andre Onana. Uh, he was he was a brick wall back there. Made some key stops. Uh, he was very forthcoming out of his 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 line position to really pounce on the ball early. And then you know, especially coming off of what was probably the worst international break that he could have had uh, by not like saving a single goal, letting up every goal every game, getting set, and then coming back and and performing. This was was very good, and it was nice to see. You know, it, it doesn't mean he's still going to perform like this every week, but not too bad. Same scoreline, different game. Tottenham Hotspurs 2, Brighton 1 at Hotspur Stadium. Tottenham had an XG of 1.79, and Brighton had an XG of 1.3. This was a pretty evenly matched game. Uh, Sun did make it back in time for this, but I was shocked that he didn't make it to the starting 11. When I was watching the game with Tom, who's a big Spurs fan, I tried to justify that maybe because Pasacoglu was in a weird position. Spurs have been firing on all cylinder with the squad that he's got out there. They just brought on Timo Werner from Lone, who was playing in that left wing side, who has been playing relatively well. It's not like he can take out Richie. Richie was, for the first time since late December, didn't score in an English Premier League game. So you can't take him out. He's in super form. And then Kuliseski is is one of the most integral and important clogs in that front three on that right-hand side, being able to cut in all the time. So I think that Ange was probably saying, hey, these guys are doing a good job. Sonny, you were away for a little bit. I can't just plop you back in there because I feel like that's a kind of Ange Postacoglu mentality. But you could really tell that they needed him. And eventually when he did come on, he made the difference. So a big shout out to Homin Sung and Brennan Johnson uh, who put the final low cross bullet in the, uh, the Brighton skull head in the 96th minute. 
lot of questions have been asked with Spurs, how they close out games. They do, I believe, have either the first or second. I think they're the second most overtime or extra time score team this season, I think, behind Arsenal, who is number one. Um, but it was a it was a great transition that Sun went up the side with pace, put the ball into the middle to an almost fully open Brennan Johnson, who smashed into the top of the net, um, who has been arguably in relatively poor form. Was, like I said, a real back-and-forth game, both teams having their moments. The first goal came early in the 13th minute with a pass foul gross penalty, which was de- deserving. Put that away, very cool, calm and collected. But other than that, not a lot of movement from the goals. It was back and forth for a while. Um, if you look at the momentum chart that like Footmom has, though, a lot of it was heavily in Tottenham's favor, just off of breaks. But obviously, with the return of Matoma on that side, he always offers a threat. Um, he's one of our biggest highlights of the season last year. So it's the third time this season that Tottenham have scored a game-winning goal uh, in added time, which I kind of mentioned before. First one was Sheffield United. Second one was Liverpool. That one still has like asterisks around it. And then obviously this one is 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 Brighton. Uh, the injection of players back from the Asia Cup, you know, Sun, who we spoke about again, and then Saar, who scored the equalizer, um, really, really made the difference for Tottenham. I know Tom was saying, where's Pap Saar this game? He started off slow. He was very difficult in keeping possession. His passes seemed to go a bit stray every once in a while, uh, but it was it was a great game overall for Spurs, who on this, you know, this time are still creating a bit of pressure on that top four spot. You know, they're sit five points behind Arsenal. They're one point ahead Villa. So that matchup is going to be huge in a couple of weeks. I believe they still have to to play each other. Um, other than that, it was it was an entertaining game. Uh, they do play Villa at Villa Park on March 10th. So that's in one, two, three, four weekends. Um, other than that, shout out players we talked about already. Matoma, Danny Welbeck. Uh, who scored? I believe he scored the he scored their first goal no, in the no PK, no no it was right? gross but he oh, won gross, he won the he penalty won the PK. Um, yeah. he yeah. also just looked really good throughout this game um, like you obviously mentioned and, and we talked about before those guys left um, also Basuma coming back into the lineup is really big for Tottenham it just gives yeah. them more depth um, and, and it <clears throat> excuse me improves the quality of the starting eleven in general when you have him Sarn and now Sun back. I think obviously Sun having played in in the Asia Cup, traveling back, that was probably also why he wasn't available, you know, from the get go. Um, in yeah. addition to like you said, just wanting to reward, um, you know, guys who played well for Tottenham of late. Um, but yeah, obviously Matoma for me was really really good. I thought he gave uh, quite a bit of problems to to your boy Pedro Porro um, down down that left hand side, created three big chances. So um, definitely a good performance from him. Also, they got Ansu Fati back. He played in his first match since November after a knee injury. And then Simon Adingra, who we talked about in the hot news section, um, will be back. And, and, you know, with with quite a bit of confidence. I think those three guys in that front line for Brighton will be huge. Uh, João Pedro missed this game through injury. Him coming back as well. You know, they have Ferguson. They're still in the Europa League. Uh, So, obviously, there'll be a lot of games to play still. But I think they should put, you know, push for that sixth spot in the league. Um, I think, obviously, it's the top three. It's Tottenham and Villa for four and five. And then I think, you know, United and Brighton are competing for the for the last. United, Brighton, and I guess maybe Newcastle are competing yeah. for those last three spots. And West Ham um, as well, of course. But I just think they're going to tail off a bit. Yeah, those three are tight. Newcastle, West Ham, and Brighton are all one point apart. Manchester United really trying to separate themselves with five points ahead. But um, 
really, really tight in that middle of the of the table there. Some rapid kicks. You want to go ahead and express some late last second acknowledgements? Sure, absolutely. Well, especially with Kyle not here, we have to mention the 2 nothing win for Man City over Everton at the Etihad. Um, thanks to a, an Erling Holland brace, it was the nightmare fuel for yourself and, and me. Uh, seeing Kevin De Bruyne at the Erling Holland for the, for the game clinching goal. Um, just a quick note on this game, and Blake, please you know plug your ears up. But Tottenham had f- oh, excuse me, Tottenham the Toffees had five touches in the Man City box. It's the lowest number of touches in an opponent's box since the stat was began tracking in 2015-16. That's not good, guys. It's bad. It's it's objectively <laughs> very bad. So that's not great. Um, the other one I wanted to talk about was Newcastle beating Forest thanks to uh, Bruno Guimaraes, uh brace, which moved them up to seventh place. They haven't been in seventh since uh, I think it was like early December. Um, so that's a good win for them on the road. City Ground's a tough place to play. Um, I know Kyle was looking to get back to even on betting because he he put the house on Luton Town. Uh, which unfortunately, you know, came up, and and that's our third note here. Um, Sheffield United winning their third match of the season with a three-one victory at the Kenny, which is a place that we've hyped up incessantly, and uh, sometimes it just it backfires. But yeah, I remember Kyle texted you on uh, on Saturday morning. It was like, how do I get back to even? What game is my lock? And you're like, Newcastle should beat Forest. And I was like, ah, I don't know, man. And there was definitely moments, um, you know, where Forrest had the, had their chances and scored. Obviously, it was a three-two victory, so um, that was a really good one. And then the last one was uh, just that Trent got substituted at halftime with an, a re-aggravation of his knee injury that he suffered in the FA Cup against Arsenal in uh, in early Jan um, in Liverpool's blue-plagued three-one victory over Burnley. They were without Allison. Uh, Gomez and Gravenberch, who are all out with the flu, and then obviously, you know, they have a couple of other injuries as well. But, um, those are the quick ones for me. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about that we just went over or something no, else? No, I, I want to mention. No, I think that the the flu plague Liverpool was a good take because I remember seeing that lineup and I'm like, oh god, this could really get out of hand somehow. And not really because, you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't have beat Burnley with their second tier squad, but yeah, you, you don't have your main guys. Anything can happen. You know, Burnley need to win. So at any right. given day, but I think that, I, that was very, very fair. Kanate also suspended for that match too. So it was definitely yep. a weaker lineup. The one thing I just did not understand listening to the game and listen, I totally accept that I'm biased. Like the announcer, you'd swear Burnley were playing like prime Barcelona, the way that he was talking about <laughs> this game. Like, basically, they came out, they started pretty well for the first 10, 15 minutes. Liverpool were kind of sloppy, and then settled into the game, scored a goal. Burnley scored a beautiful header through uh, Irishman Darrow O'Shea right before half, and the guy was like, and it's a deserved draw for Burnley. I'm like, dude, this is their first chance of the whole fucking game. What planet am I on? Like, I, I swear sometimes I'm watch- I watch a different game than these announcers do on a weekly basis, but um, that was just really confusing to me especially for a team who throughout the entire course of the game had four shots. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I you're not going to win a lot of games when you can see three and and take four shots, but you know, what do I know? Um <laughs> but I think you do I think you do know a lot more than some of these announcers for sure. But the one if you haven't listened to him, I you got to know his name. I do. Peter Drury. Is it Peter Drury? He paints. He paints a picture with every goal. He's like, and 
Bakayo Saka sails through the, the, <laughs> the seas in the Serengeti serendipitously. I'm like, yo, easy, Clyde Frazier. All right, pull it back. Is he is he the Champions League announcer that I was thinking about? Oh, I'm now he's I a don't Scottish know guy. You gotta you gotta. Oh, you you're talking about yeah. Roy Hudson. Yeah, you're talking about Roy be. Hudson. That guy's incredible. Oh, it's ridiculous. I, if you're not a soccer fan, you all you have to do is listen to this guy, and you think he's fucking on Molly or some shit during <laughs> the game. It's ridiculous. It's like, what is this guy seeing? But it's it's really fucking entertaining, and I'm looking forward to it over the next couple of weeks. I missed that. I missed that. Yeah, absolutely. But we're moving pretty well here, so I figured we could go stroll right into the, the weekend look ahead. Not a lot of excitement uh, on matchup-wise. There are about three games that I think might might provide some close action, but one ultimately has everyone's heads towards a turn two for the title race, and that's Man City at home at the Etihad versus Chelsea. Chelsea, they're a team I just I fully do not understand. I just think it's a it's a squad of individuals that when they do feel like playing with each other, it it, it works out well. But a lot of the time it's I can't fuck this up because there's someone sitting on that bench that they'll just throw right in for me. It's a very hostile environment that I don't think promotes uh, confidence, which I think is the biggest killer in a very young squad is the lack there of confidence. And I don't think it enthuses confidence through this this roster or, or through the management style. But they come in and they win Crystal Palace kind of last minute yesterday, um, 3-1 where Chelsea seems to always get that garbage time goal at the end when it doesn't matter, but then the scoreline says, oh, they beat them 3-1. Like, Chelsea didn't really beat them 3-1. They, they squeaked out a win here. I call that the Alex Rodriguez goal because he used to only hit home runs for the Yankees after the <laughs> Yankees were up like 8 nothing, and it would be like an eighth-inning solo shot. I'm like, yeah, congratulations, A-Rod. You're the man. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But as much as I don't understand Chelsea, I think we all understand one thing, and it's that we want Chelsea to win. Um, you know, it, the last time these teams met up, you dubbed it as, I think, the game of the season. It was a 4-4 draw at Stamford Bridge, and this was when Chelsea were on a heater versus the top six teams where they were not allowing anyone to take additional points off them. They would get the tie, but they wouldn't take the L. So, to me, this has a very similar feeling to that type of buildup as they did uh, Chelsea, that is, of their rematch with Liverpool, which they initially tied, but went on to go to you know Anfield and got hammered four one. I think we're right. going to see the same thing here. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good take. You have to keep in keep in mind that that City Chelsea game didn't have Kevin De Bruyne, um, who now is fully back. He probably starts this game this weekend, um, so he probably makes a huge difference and then like yeah like you said we talked about it a hundred times Chelsea are so Jekyll and Hyde never know which team's going to show up it does look like Enzo Fernandez is really starting to find his form mm -hmm. which is crucial for them um but I just don't believe in in a lot of their their defensive players um particularly center back or left back with with Ben Chilwell I do like Gusto their goaltending is not that great I just think they're a very easy team to get at and, and like you said they really don't operate as a team it's more of a collection of individuals when they go down early they can kind of um fold relatively quickly as well so i do think you're probably spot on that we'll see a similar type of result to the 4-1 we saw at anfield a couple of weeks back yeah 
the great shout with Enzo, Enzo Fernandez. Um, one other shout is obviously a massive subject of conversation is Connor Gallagher, who right. bucketed his first two goals of the season in the EPL um, for Chelsea, which I thought was a shocker of a stat. I didn't realize he hadn't had an EPL goal, but all the other ones came in cup ties, I guess. Mm. So, but it, you know, those guys coming to form two goals over the past couple of games. And then your dubbed banana peel game of the weekend, which always seems like a banana peel is going to be for for one of our teams. So you you <laughs> you nailed this one for Liverpool versus Brentford at G Tech Community Stadium in London. Absolutely. So I'm hoping it has the same result as your banana peel game of the weekend did last weekend. Um, but I just have a feeling about this one. Liverpool have a, a draw and a loss in their two visits to Brentford uh, since they got promotion in 2020 2021. A 3-3 draw in 21-22, and then a 3-1 loss last year. They're coming off a really good victory at Molyneux, and they have two strikers in great form between Mope and obviously Ivan Tony, who have each have three goals in their last four matches. And, uh, you know, I just touched on, upon it quickly, but there's still a lot of guys who are, are out for Liverpool that just lost. Um, Trent, for an, you know, another extended period of time, we know Sabazla is out for this game. Um, should see the return of Allison Gomez and Gravenberch, potentially Connor Bradley from Bereavement as well, whose his dad passed away. Um, and then maybe Salah off the bench. It, it's it's still kind of up in the air. He did train this week, but um, I just think this is going to be a really tough one. I, I think Liverpool will pull it out, but I could see there being points of the game where Brentford lead. I could even see a draw in this game, but um, just one I thought to highlight. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think if, if Brentford... Oh, it's tough to say because if Brentford even takes an early lead, Liverpool's so good from playing from behind that the That's game's true not too. quite over yet. That's so true too. It, there's something that really kicks into second gear for them. But good point, good banana peel selection of the week. And uh, we've come to the conclusion that you should probably just fade all of our locks of the week unless you you know message us the day of. So take this one how you will. But it is my turn to try to get back to some resel- resemblance of success. I'm currently two, I'll call two and four, or if you're being kind to me, two, three, and one with the act of cowardice has, as we have nailed it. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm trying to figure out right now, I kind of figure, I put both of these down just to see what everyone thinks while I'm saying it and see what comes, you know, which sounds sexual for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm between Newcastle at home, odds are minus 125. And they're going up against, why do I forget, Bournemouth, Bournemouth. who we talked about not too long ago was on the hottest streak in the English Premier League, who are now on the coldest streak in the English Premier League. Bournemouth have lost three of their last five games, and Newcastle have won two of their last three games. So they're coming off of a little bit more form, you know, they're on a goal streak. They've gotten at least two goals in the last five games. And to me, for Newcastle, this is a must-win game for them. You have Manchester United going away to Luton Town, which we've talked about Kenilworth Road as being, you know, a killer, but obviously losing to the 20th place team definitely is going to put them their mind in a funk. So if Manchester United win that and Newcastle lose this, you can pretty much kiss top six goodbye for Newcastle. So I think Newcastle is going to come out with a chip on the shoulder on this. But my other lock of the week, and I think it's just going to be it moving forward, is whoever the fuck is playing Crystal Palace, especially <laughs> if Eze and Elise are out, who they will be, 
Crystal Palace is playing Everton at home, which is minus 140. But every time I bet on Everton, they seem to just ram their fist right up my ass and say, nah, not, not this time, James. <laughs> so I don't know what the fuck's going on with them. Goodison, Goodison Park I didn't is know they, I didn't know <laughs> Everton were in the proctology business. That's crazy. Yeah, my first colonoscopy was from Everton. So it's, <laughs> it's voluntary. <laughs> I mean, they're home. They haven't lost to Crystal Palace in their last six meetings. And they're playing Crystal Palace, uh, which could be Roy Hodgson's last game. Uh, yep. So it screams another L for Crystal Palace. But like I'm a one. bit, yeah, yeah. I know I like it too. And I think I'm going to lock in Newcastle. Just okay. because if we were to agree on the same thing, we would probably lose. So at least this way, one of us can potentially be right with the take. And then Newcastle, I'm looking at the form chart. And Everton also has zero green in their past five games. Bournemouth and Everton are the only two teams, I believe, in the last five without a victory. So and Burnley, and Burnley, but that's oh yeah, and yeah. Burnley. But I mean, that's that, that goes without saying at this point. They're just yeah. absolute garbage. Yeah. So yeah, trash your feathers. So I think I think I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Newcastle. It's minus one twenty five. You should win your money. It'll be fade nice. That. Fade, fade that. it. Congratulations right now. to everyone. You know it's fade good for you. Fuck it. It's locked in. Hopefully I can I can make something of it and one of us can get three wins. No, no nothing says lock of the week like you hemming and hawing for three minutes mid pod to figure out which game you wanted to pick. That just that <laughs> inspires a lot of confidence in the fans, I'm sure. I think just saying our record uh distills a lot of confidence in the fans. Yeah, that's but... fair. That's fair. We might we might have to regroup and reconsider this as a, a not an individual lock of the week, but a collective lock of the week. That way we can maybe bounce a few ideas off each other and then all be upset again and again constantly, weekend <laughs> after weekend. But um it's tough. It's a hard one out there. But hey, another week in the books. We're getting closer and closer to that run in. Twenty four weeks gone, heading into the twenty fifth. Champions League is back. A lot of things to get excited for, a lot of things to talk about. So unless you have anything else, Sean, you want to give it a sign-off? Say goodnight. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll reconvene with you next week. Have a good one.